Hey folks, welcome to Narratives. Narratives is a podcast exploring the ways in which the world is better than in the past, the ways it is worse, and the paths towards a better, more definite vision of the future. I'm your host, Will Jarvis, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. You can find show notes, transcripts, and videos at narrativespodcast.com. Well, Eric, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing great, Will. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Thanks you so much for taking the time to um, come on the show. Do you mind giving us a brief bio and some of the big ideas you're interested in? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so quick background on, on me, basically. So um, grew up uh, in New Jersey, so kind of you know, grew up there, spent my whole life there, uh, went to school up in Boston, um, really kind of found my interest in, in kind of tech and, and, and venture more broadly while I was there. So uh, started a payments company in, in, in school, and then a few years after that, moved out here to SF. Um, so was an early employee at, at a startup that got bought by Lyft. Um, but, you know, kind of knew that I wanted to build another company and, and it kept coming back to this idea that had been in the back of my mind for several years. I think this idea really that the next generation of venture was going to be focused, you know, not on the company, but on the person. Um, you know, I'd spent a lot of time, uh, you know, kind of meeting a bunch of really talented friends and peers and things like that. And I think the interesting thing for me was that, you know, these are people that everybody kind of knew were going to go on and do great things, right? You know, there's their success wasn't necessarily a surprise, right? But but I think kind of what was always really interesting to me was kind of like when you took a step back, you know, in their earliest days, nobody was actually doing anything in a systematic way to kind of identify and, and kind of capture that that talent specifically, right? And so we started thinking about, okay, well, feel like there's this huge opportunity to kind of build one of the best venture firms of our generation focused on just that, right? Focused on really kind of how do you identify the person before the idea in many ways, right? And, and, and it kind of felt like, you know, if, if we could do that better than most, you know, you could build something really unique, really special, um, and, and something really lasting. And so that's kind of what we spent the past, you know, five or so years now, kind of building at Contrary, which is this, you know, kind of venture firm built like a tech startup, you know, backed by many of the world's best entrepreneurs, where kind of all we're doing is, is kind of systematically identifying and, and investing in, in, in some of the world's top talent. Um, so I'll pause there, but hopefully kind of a, a good good high level for you. Yeah, I, I love that. And I love the concept of, you know, finding talented people, uh, maybe before they've had that idea, or they've come across that $20 bill on the sidewalk that, uh, um, they, they can take advantage of. I think Yudkowsky has this great line, you know, everybody gets maybe two or three of these uh, $20 bills on the sidewalk that are really big that you can like pick up. And But they're not, it's not like they're all around, you know, it, the markets are fairly efficient, but oftentimes there are, there are things we can find where there are market inefficiencies that people can take advantage of. So picking talented yeah. people beforehand sounds like a, like a, a really good way to, to, to bet on people early. Um, when did you first have this idea and, and um, you know, how sure were you that it was going to work when you first got started? You know, did you have yeah, a hunch yeah. and you like, I mean, you tried, I, I love to ask like people who have founded things before, you know, how sure were you before you kicked off? Um, yeah. Yeah. If you had to assign like a probability score to it, where would you put it? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I had the idea for it when I was in college actually. Um, and, and, and I had the idea because, I was just really consistently finding myself around a lot of people that I thought were super talented, right? And I think to me, 
you know, whether naivete or whatever, like, I, 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 I was pretty confident that these were super smart people that were going to go and do great things, right? Uh, and so, you know, uh, that was where I actually hatched the original idea for, you know, for, for, for Contrary, but didn't work on it at the time, right? It was, you know, working on another startup and, you know, kind of life happened and, uh, and it kind of, you know, didn't, didn't really swing back around to it for, three or four years, um, you know, but, but kind of over time kept kind of being in the back of my mind, kept thinking about it and, and, and it kind of, um, just continually was excited and energized by it. And so swung back three, four years later, still didn't really think that anybody was doing something like this, thought that this was, would exist and kind of jumped in. So that's kind of when I first kind of incepted right, the, the, the idea, uh, I think in terms of the probability of success, um, it's hard to tell, right? I, I you know, I, I never remember saying to myself, look, like, you know, there's a 1 million percent chance that this thing is going to work, right? I, I, the, the way I framed it was, and the way I think about kind of starting companies in general, like, it's, it's a, you're making a series of bets along the way, right? Um, and so the way I thought about it was, look, like, uh, you know, here's an idea that I have a reasonable amount of conviction in, and... Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it's a good idea, right? I, I think something like this will exist. I think it will probably work, but I can't say with certainty, right? Um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the next, in my case, I kind of boxed it as like two years. I said, I think the next two years of my life, um, I'll, you know, really kind of work super hard on it and, and I'll kind of throw myself at it, spend every waking moment of, of, of kind of my life at it. Um, and you know, and we'll see what happens, right? And if after two years, it looks like it's working and, and kind of progressing and doing well, like fantastic, like I'll keep on doing it, right? Um, if not though, right, um, and, 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 and maybe it doesn't look like then, then I'll kind of you know, move on and, and, and do something else. So um, that's kind of how I, I thought about it. I, I think that a lot of people actually shortchange themselves. I think a lot of people don't spend enough time working on an idea before they decide to kind of throw in the towel. And I think a lot of companies aren't ultimately kind of created as a result of that. Um, whereas with, with contrary, like I think two years is, is roughly kind of the, the, the right period of time. If you're, if you're wondering kind of like, is this going to work? So. That's really great. That's really great. I, I like that framing. Do you think, uh, I, I guess it's like super case by case, right? But, but how do you think about advising founders on, on how they should time, like, 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 when is it right to throw in the towel and when is it right to push through, right? Because we can imagine that, you know, there's times where you really should keep pushing. Um, you can definitely give up too early, but you can definitely give up like uh, too late as well. I mean, how do you think yeah. about balancing that and like advising founders when they're thinking through those kinds of challenges? Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no kind of formula here, but after now having, you know, seen a lot gone through this and yeah kind of you know with dozens of, of, of founders over the past you know five to ten years um the answer the unhelpful answer is that you know right <laughs> um like you know you you know and, and it's different for every company right i mean maybe there's co-founder conflict maybe you know they literally can't raise capital downstream maybe it's just kind of plodding along right and and right. And, and it's been years at this point and there's just there's just kind of no light at the end of the tunnel, right? It's not growing quickly. You're not able to attract great talent. It's just kind of like a zombie, right? Um, uh, and so it, it varies by startup, right? Um, but it is one of the kinds of things where like you do absolutely know, right? Like you kind of feel it in your bones, right? You're like, look, like this, this is like, 
it's run its course, right? Uh, I've kind of given it my all, right? I've kind of done everything I could uh, for whatever reason. Like it just, it's just not worth me spending an incremental, you know, kind of year or two of my life working on this. And then you have a hard conversation with your investors and teammates and, and go from there. And I think at the end of the day, like for, for us as kind of VCs, right? Like the, the expectation is that, you know, for a seed stage portfolio or an early stage portfolio, you know, half of these companies are going to go to zero, right? It's it's part of the, the fund math, right? So we expect it to happen. Obviously, it's a hard conversation, but it's it's not a, I think sometimes founders get nervous to have that, I mean, understandably so, right? Like right. they get nervous to have that conversation with their investor, right? Um, and, and look, I think more often than not, like we feel the same way that they do, right? And And, and we say, look, like, you know, we gave it a shot. We gave it a good run. And, and, and like, you know, if you choose to start another company, I'd love to be your first investor. Right. Um, and, 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 and that's often how it plays out too. So. Good deal. Good deal. So it's very much, um, yes, you just need to be smart about things. You need to be self-reflective and see where you're at and, uh, you know, don't beat it against your head against the wall unnecessarily if you've reached a point where, you know, you know, you look inside and you're like, okay, maybe it's time to go and pivot and do something else. Yeah. Makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I'm curious. Um, getting back to some of the original things you mentioned, how do you think about evaluating talent? Um, is it something that is kind of intuitive to you, and that you see somebody like, wow, this person like really impressive? Is there a set of characteristics you look for? Is it a very case by case thing where each each person is individually talented in different ways, and you kind of like it's like an art to it, or, or is there kind of a science to evaluating talent that you found yeah. over the years looking at so many uh, talented young people working on companies? Yeah, I think the answer is both. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's um, uh, there are elements of it that you can be particularly scientific about, right? Um, you know, you can look at a lot of different heuristics, um, but at the end of the day, you just need to have a good old fashioned conversation with someone oftentimes. Right. And, 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 you know, no amount of credential or where they worked or whatever will, will kind of uh, help you understand like, Hey, what are my goals and ambitions? Right. What do I want to do? Do I want to build a company? Do I, do I want to not like, what's the, like, what are my motivating factors here? And, 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 you know, I think, uh, uh, there's no way that, you know, a link, somebody's LinkedIn or something that you could find online will, will tell you that, right? Like, it's just, it's just not the reality. So, um, yeah, all that, all that is to say, like, you can do pieces of it scientifically. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you just need to talk to people. And, and that's like the, the, I won't even call it a sad reality. I think it's a great reality, right? Uh, it, it means that it'll be really hard for the foreseeable future to abstract away, you know, human beings from from early stage venture. So, good good deal. So you know, you're not worried about the large language models coming for you quite yet. Not yet. I mean, maybe at the growth stage, but yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, when you're having a conversation with someone and you you have, to have that aha moment that they're really talented, is there anything? Um, yeah, yeah. Are there any commonalities there you found? Um, <clears throat> I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think so other than just like absolute hunger, 
right? And like, I think the best people have such exceptional tenacity and clarity of thought. Um, again, it's a kind of, you know, it when you see it type of thing. Um, whereas, you know, your typical, um, uh, your typical kind of individual or person that you talk to, um, just doesn't have that sense of, of purpose almost, um, you know, kind of like, uh, uh, you know, me against the world kind of thing. And, and, and I, and I think that like that plus clarity of thought are probably kind of the two most important commonalities that you see. Um, you know, I think there's a huge difference between, uh, a great founder and, 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 you know, like an extraordinary founder, right? Uh, like, you know, there, there are people that we've talked to that are probably, you know, top five of, 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 you know, the top five people that we've talked to since starting Contrary five or six years ago, right? Uh, and like, those are the people that you want to be investing in, but you maybe find those people once or twice a year. Right. Um, you know, you talk to thousands of people, you come across one or two a year. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, it's hard. Um, but when you come across those kinds of people, you just kind of, regardless of what they're doing, you just have to like back up the bucket loader and, uh, and, 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 and the results tend to be pretty special. So. That's great. It, it does seem to me that venture is kind of this crazy search problem at some level. You mentioned, you know, like there, there's kind of a handful of people that you want to bag. It's very power law based. All the returns seem to be very power law based. Um, how do you think about, about going out and finding people? Is it just trying to get as much exposure to different people, college campuses, wherever you can find them to expand the, the search net wider? Um, or or are, they, are there anything, things, you know, any special things you've done at contrary to kind of source these people? Yeah. Well, I, I think traditional venture firms, and by traditional, I mean basically all venture firms, um, they just source through networks at the end of the day, right? So yeah. they source through their personal network. They source through, you know, a founder referral. They, you know, if they have a good brand, people go inbound to them, right? It's it's just like, it's it's very traditional in that regard, right? And, and I think to be clear, like, that works, right? Um, so, so, you know, I think I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with it. Um, but I think if you if you kind of believe that venture is continually evolving and changing, and, uh, and and that you know venture kind of today will not be kind of venture a decade from now, um, then I think you have to ask yourself like what gives, what changes, right? Uh, and I think for us, it's it's that venture is kind of on this like inexorable kind of you know creep and march kind of earlier and earlier and earlier right um where what has historically been an industry very focused on the deal and the transaction will be one that becomes more and more and more about the person right and so if you believe that to be true then you have to go earlier right then you have to actually be identifying and building deep, authentic relationships with people before they even start a company, right? Because if, if, if they've started a company, it's too late already, right? Um, and I think that's our view is that venture is just going to become more and more competitive. And so if you're trying to kind of, you know, uh, uh, play the game in, 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 in 2020 or 2022 in 2030, like you're just going to lose. Uh, it, it's as simple as that. And, 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 and so I think like, um, while not a bad game to play today, I think it's very clear to us that in, in, in kind of five or 10 years, like this, this will not be, uh, it'll be a totally different game. So it's not going to be the way things are, have been done in the past. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I'm curious. I've always had this question 
where the bottleneck of innovation is in the economy at this point. Um, it seems to me like when we, you know, put more money in the venture market, it just you know pushes the valuations up, which seems indicative to me that like maybe we're bottlenecked on like talent or something like that. Um, I, I'm curious, what are your thoughts there? W- where is the bottleneck at this point? Is it talented founders? Is it you know talented builders? Um, is it money and and just money is not allocated properly, or is there something else going on? Yeah, I mean, I think I think what's happened in the in the venture market over the past couple of years was simply, I mean, it was it was it's it's you could have a you could have an entire podcast about that, <laughs> but I but I think like you know high level right, it's it, it was a combination of like macro policy plus COVID right, right. Um, and so it, you know tech was was a massive beneficiary of of, of those what ended up being tailwinds right. Um, Obviously, that's corrected, right? Uh, and, and people were talking about, oh, like, you know, this has moved tech forward five, ten years in the adoption curve, right? Like, it's only the beginning. Like, you know, a lot, a lot of very hypey things. And, and you know, people were funding companies like, you know, Hopin or whatever at these, like, kind of, you know, uh, uh, kind of, you know, egregious valuations, thinking that, uh, you know, the moment that kind of COVID died off or kind of receded, uh, you know, that, that kind of, uh, it would continue to persist. And, and I think it was very clear that that was not ever going to be the case for, for us at least, right? And so, uh, you know, you're now seeing kind of a bit of a, a, a kind of reversion to, to reality. Um, and that's great, right? And I think, look, like, you know, you ask yourself the question of like, uh, you know, kind of what does tech look like in a decade from now? And I think I think the reality is like tech continues to to kind of, you know, eat and, and, and dominate, um, you know, kind of the world and be one of the best growth categories over the next decade. Like that's, that's not changing. Like structurally tech is not going anywhere. Right. Uh, it's still a very small percentage of GDP, all things considered. And so like, we're absolutely kind of, you know, bulls on, 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 on tech things like this and what's been going on over the past few months, I think are just healthy reminders and recalibrations to people that, you know, hot money and easy money is, uh, uh, not often kind of, you know, easy to come by. So Definitely, definitely. Um, th- this does remind me, we, we had a, another guest on the podcast, Paul Schmelzing, he's an economist at Yale, wrote this paper, it's very wonkish, but it describes how there's been this 800-year decline in long-term interest rates. Um, you know, it's noisy, right? So, you know, we're, we're kind of going back up right now. Um, but do you think this, like, long-term trend towards lower interest rates will, over time, just make venture increasingly competitive? Or are, are we not doomed to that kind of fate? As people yeah. get pushed up the yield um, curve. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I uh, I think that venture is simply going through kind of the exact same adoption curve uh, as other asset classes have, right? So I think my my view on 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 venture is very similar to what happened in you know, PE in the 80s, hedge funds in the 90s, right? Like where you kind of have this relatively sleepy industry for the first 30 or so years of its existence, right? Um, And then all of a sudden, you know, you can't, I mean, you're just riding this literally like 50 to 100 year secular kind of slow trend, right? Uh, And then at a certain point, it kind of finally starts to accelerate and, and, and it goes from being a cottage industry, right? If you, if you remember, like, you know, I mean, as recently as 10 years ago, people would still refer to venture as a cottage industry, right? Um, and it largely was. I mean, it still is today in the sense of, like, 
it's still a very small slice of the asset management pie, but like it, it's obviously less than it was. Um, but but I think ultimately like venture will experience that exact same kind of growth, whether or not interest rates you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of continue increasing or decreasing. I think obviously ventures and net, like all kind of asset classes tend to be, uh, well, all alts tend to be kind of beneficiaries of low interest rate environments, right? So I don't think venture is unique in that regard. Um, but I think my, my broader point here is like almost in spite of what happens uh, with, with interest rates, I think venture will continue to grow and scale and mature as an asset class. Uh, and I don't, I don't think it's going anywhere, so... Got it. Got it. I, I, I'm curious, you know, you, you invest primarily in the early stage, correct? Yeah, primarily. Uh, we do we do kind of full stack investing, but but a lot of what we do is kind of early stage. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, it seems to me that there's this uh, inherent tension where as you get bigger, so, you know, as you become more successful over time with Contrary, it seems like there's, uh, you know, some pressure to grow, bigger funds, et cetera. But then you have to, you know, kind of go far you gotta you know maybe start have to start investing in series a series b they're doing growth stuff because the piles of cash are bigger and it's just hard to distribute um that and find alpha if that makes sense um when when the deal size are smaller um is that something you expect to have to deal with are you consciously thinking about that or and and maybe keeping the the funds smaller over time uh to deal with that or or what's the long-term vision there yeah well i i think uh you know, my, I mean, my, my, Mike Naples kind of popularized this this phrase, which is just it's it's gold, and and he's 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 absolutely right in it. Where he says, you know, your fund size is your strategy, right? Um, and I think he's absolutely true, right? And and I think at, at a certain point, as a manager, you make a conscious decision as to what you want your firm to be, right? Uh, and in the venture world, it's 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 basically, let's say you know, sub 50 million, it's maybe 50 to 150 million, let's say in that, in that range. And then it's everything north of that, right? Um, and when you're sub 50 million, you can play really nice with everybody. You can get small checks into competitive rounds. You're always collaborative, all that kind of stuff. When you're 50 to 150 million, you know, you can, or even a couple hundred million, like you can still be somewhat collaborative. You're a little bit more competitive. You're leading rounds now, but you can still get venture style returns, right? You can still kind of five to 10x funds if, you, if you're you know, leading rounds of, of excellent early stage companies. Uh, but once you go that past that kind of like couple hundred million dollar threshold, if you just do the math, I mean, you need to be, you need to be generating massive, massive multi-billion dollar kind of exits and returns um, to put up venture scale kind of numbers. And so you end up building more of a platform, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with doing what Andreessen's done or whatever, right? Like, you know, I mean, to, to their credit, right? They've built one of the most powerful firms in, in, in all of venture by taking this kind of, you know, uh, full stack, multi-stage kind of kind of model, right? Um, but it's just different, right? You know, the, the, the Andreessen's of the world aren't getting the same returns as a $50 million fund right. because it's just easier to multiply smaller numbers, right? Again, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you just have to understand, like, what are you optimizing for, right? Are you optimizing purely for, you know, kind of cash on cash returns, right. right? Are you optimizing for scale and AUM? Like, what game are you playing? And I think once you understand that, then you can basically you know, figure out what your strategy and your fund size is going to be from there. So 
And and where do you come down on this? Like like, do you have thoughts here? And if you don't want to talk about it publicly, that's fine. But but where do you want to be like in ten years? Do you like that like uh, the game you're playing currently? Do you want to change it up and, and grow into a bigger fun? Uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I think we're uh, we're still early in our journey, right? Like we're we're you know we're kind of four or five years into into investing and. Um, and I think it's kind of too early to tell, but, but I, but I, 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 I do think we'll remain laser focused on, on this kind of core thesis around how do we identify great talent early, but absolutely. I mean, we already do this. We, we want to support those founders for their entire journey, right? right. You know, we want to be there, not only their first check at seed, but we also want to, you know, kind of be leading their series A or series B or series C or whatever it is, right. As they kind of grow and scale their businesses. And so, you know, I, 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 I don't know kind of what the future holds in, 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 in that regard, but I think we'll absolutely kind of continue to grow and scale with our companies over time. I, I, you know, we, we won't take that first box, right? We won't, you know, have kind of sub $50 million. I mean, we already are, are larger than that, right? But like, right. you know, we will kind of be larger than that $50 million kind of threshold for sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, going off of that, I, I've often had this question about why um, like top quartile returns in venture are uh, better than like uh, the bomb 75%. Um, it, is it your sense that it, it's because it's something like venture is kind of a Keynesian beauty contest where um, you know you as an investor, you're not only thinking about whether this company is viable, but it's whether this company can raise money at the A round, B round, C round down the road. So even if like you find, let's say this, this company that it's an amazing company, but it's just too weird for any other investors to grok, um, that they'll have trouble raising capital down the road. And and can you get around that maybe by, uh, self-funding startups as they go down kind of their life, their life cycle, like you described? Yeah. Um, I think the answer is it depends, right? I mean, there absolutely are companies where, they're just real funky and nobody wants to fund them and that's why they die, right? right? And so either you're left to fund them yourself or like, you know, and you hope that somebody clicks for somebody in the next 12 yeah. months or like, you know, there are a lot of really weird scenarios out there. But I, I, I think the reason why venture returns are so, I mean, they're not even 80-20, they're, 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 you know, 95-5, right? From a right. Pareto point of view um, is, is that, it's just an access game at the end of the day, right? And 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 venture um, brand is 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 king, right? Um, and the best founders want to work with the best brands, um, and the best brands are good proxies for talent and additional capital and customers and all of those kinds of things. And so, um, you know, having a powerful brand is. I think objectively speaking, like the most powerful moat in venture, right? Um, now you can screw it up for sure. Uh, and, and many have screwed it up, uh, but but it takes a long time. You need to really work hard at screwing it up, I think, to, to, to screw it up. Um, you know, but people forget that, that you know, uh, like Excel was struggling before, you know, they, they kind of led Facebook's, you know, series A in 04, 05, whatever it was, right? Like, you know, uh, and obviously now they're, I mean, you know, they're absolutely a world-class firm, right? But, um, but it wasn't always that way, right? Uh, and, and, and this happens time and time again, right? There's this huge kind of narrative 
kind of you know fallacy out there um, that oftentimes uh, either observers or certain you know LPs that are a little bit newer to venture kind of subscribe to, which is you know oh if I if I'm going to invest in, in kind of venture funds like you know the only the only kind of thing that makes sense is to invest in in a you know a cocktail party name right a Sequoia or whatever right. Um, it just couldn't be further from the truth, right? I mean, you go back and every 10 years, like almost, you know, kind of to a T, uh, you know, there is this generation's Sequoia that gets created, right? I mean, you think about a decade ago, it was, you know, maybe kind of, you know, Andreessen. And then five years before that, it was Founders Fund. And five years before that, it was Lightspeed. And five years before that, it was Benchmark, right? And and so, you know, on and on and on and on, right? Like this, this, is, this happens time and time again, right? So like your job should be to hunt for the next, Andreessen or the next Founders Fund or the next whatever, right? Uh, because they're they're out there, right? Uh, and and they're being built right before your very eyes, and those will be the ones that will provide you with the get best kind of asymmetric upside. So that makes sense. I'm I'm curious, how did you think about bootstrapping brand in the beginning? Now Katra has a great brand, but in the beginning, you know, when you're just getting started, how do you think? Is it like just trying to find that one breakout that can kind of you know. Like, like you said, Excel, like finding Facebook or something like that? Or is there anything else you can do to kind of get that going? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there are so many different kind of prongs, I think, to, to, to kind of that, that answer, right? But uh, I think the most important thing at the end of the day is consistency, right? It is like, it is understanding that this is a long game. Right. Uh, I was just talking with a friend this morning and, you know, uh, he started investing in venture a decade ago, I think 2010, actually. Um, and they're still waiting on some of their first returns. Right. Um, you know, they've returned half of the fund or three quarters of the fund, but not the whole fund. So they're not getting carry yet. Right. So and we're, we're 11, 12 years in. Right. So it is a long game. And so it, it requires showing up consistently every single day. Right. And that means making great investments. That means, uh, you know, getting kind of PR where you can. That means, you know, kind of building your Twitter following, which is something I have done a poor job of, but others on my team have done better jobs of. Uh, you know, it means like uh, having both people in the industry, your peer set and founders kind of having good things to say about you, right? It's like, it, these are all things that require years of consistent effort, right? You can't just show up one day, put your hand in the air and say, hey, you know, I'm raising a, a, I'm raising a venture fund, right? Like the people who do do that oftentimes are people who have been doing it for a decade or more already, right? They right. already have built that credibility. They already have built that track record. And so them putting their hand in the air and saying, I'm starting a fund is is, is, is a decade plus of, of really hard work, right? Um, so yeah, I think that's my answer is, is it's just, you know, a consistent kind of grind basically across five, six, seven, eight different factors. So that make, it makes a lot of sense. I, has it been harder, easier than you thought uh, when you originally got started? Harder. It's been harder. Yeah, harder. Yeah. <laughs> Can you talk For about sure. can you talk about that it just just uh, in all factors or uh, is there the one particular element that really surprised you as being more difficult than than you imagine? Um I think let me put it to you this way. I I, I think um I would say that building our generation Sequoia, which is our expectation, um, is harder 
than um, probably building a, a comparable uh, a comparable kind of sized startup, let's say. Um, and and I say that principally because of the brand moat that I talked about earlier, right? Where, you know, it's funny when you look at startups, right? And you look at incumbents, they tend to not have the best brand, ironically, right? right. Um, and, and so they're actually easier to unseat in that regard. I mean, obviously, there's just a whole host of other challenges, right? They're incumbents. So, you know, it's like an oracle or whatever, right? Where, uh, you know, you're just you're trying to just extricate them from the situation, but they can't, you can't, they can't, you're, you know, just too built in, right? So there are certainly other reasons, right? Why, why, you know, it is harder, let's say, um, from a startup point of view versus just focusing on brand. Um, but I think when you, when you think about kind of, uh, what we've been talking about here over the past 20, 30 minutes, um, there's typically only one, maybe two venture firms every decade, uh, that become household names. Right. And if you put that in startup parlance, right. I mean, there are many, 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 many dozens or, or hundreds of, of, of startups over a decade period that find a meaningful amount of success. Right. right? Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I think it's I think it's harder. Um, I actually think it's harder than kind of building a, a, a building a startup if that is your goal, right? If you simply right. want to raise capital and invest Boy, in some yeah. companies and do all that kind of stuff, fine. It's 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 you know it's it's hard but doable, right? Um, but if your ambition is to build one of the best firms of our generation, um, very hard. Well, it does seem to be quite at some level probably yeah generally more competitive. Just generally, it, it is it is very competitive. Um, j just because like you said, if it's a power law business there, you know, most deals are not very good deals. So finding the good deals is a difficult challenge and getting in those deals. Although working in the early stage, you can't get around some of that, you know, you're, you're fighting less over deals, I assume, and more it's, yeah. it's finding the people, which, which seems to be yeah. a, a better challenge to try and tackle. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and the vast majority of VCs are just selling a commodity at the end of the day. Right. right. Um, and, and so that's even more of a wrinkle, right? That's why brand becomes even more important because if you're selling the exact same thing, which is, you know, cold, hard cash, right? Like what is your wedge? So definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a, it's, it's a real challenge. Uh, I got another question here. It's a bit of a left term, uh, but I, I asked this to most of my guests. Um, what is common knowledge within your field that lay people might find surprising? I think just how much inside baseball goes into uh, the entire industry. I, I maybe maybe we'll frame it in the context of fundraising for okay. founders, right? Um, but raising capital as a startup founder is not as simple as kind of putting your hand up in the air, saying I'm fundraising, walking into a meeting, pitching your company, and then in a vacuum, somebody saying, yeah, that looks great. Let's invest. Or no, that's bad. Let's not invest, right? Um, I think you have to assume that... Uh, everybody's talking like almost by default, right? Like if you're talking to a venture firm that has some shred of, of credibility or respect, right? Like a, yes. a halfway decent venture firm, um, 
they generally will all know one another to some extent, right? And there are people that, yes, have stronger relationships with, you know, certain firms or groups than others. Um, but generally speaking, um, you know, that is, 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 is kind of the plan. Uh, and that is kind of, uh, I think, how, how it works. And I don't think that's common, right? I think most people would just say, hey, like, I have an idea. I'm going to pitch it. I'm going to hope that you know, this person likes it enough to invest, right? But but you have to assume that that VC is probably talking to whoever introduced them or how do they know them? And then they're talking about it with a couple other VCs and they're sharing notes and right, like it's a, it, even though they might not be the same firm, like everybody is still talking, so. Got it, got it. So uh, th that does seem like to me like uh, if you are fundraising, you, you should be aware of that and, and plan accordingly, I, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's the reason why... Um, you know, like if you think about like a like a like a V one of AngelList, right? When they first started ten years ago, whatever it was, right? Like the original idea was like let's let's or one of the original ideas was like let's democratize access to to startup investing, right? Yeah. Um, and like everybody put your deals on this platform and we'll fund it, or whatever. It's like no no no. Like at the end of the day, like that that doesn't work, right? right? And it doesn't work because like the best deals are an exceptional currency, right? The best deals are very 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 valuable, and so by definition, like you have an incentive to keep them internal, uh, either within your own firm or within your trusted kind of sphere of, of, of friends, right? And I mean, that's like, that's its own can of worms, right? In, in terms of why that's bad and, you know, how that kind right. of affects things like, you know, kind of, you know, access for to capital for diverse founders and like, it's a totally different kind of segment, but, but that is nonetheless the reality today, right? Um, and so, um, you know, yeah, I think it's, uh, it just kind of is what it is as long as the incentives uh, are, are kind of aligned that way. And obviously a lot of people working to fix that, but it's, it's tricky. So real challenge. Do you have any advice for founders who are going out to fundraise? Uh, what do most people get wrong when they, when they go to do that? Yeah. Um, I think maybe the, I think kind of the two pieces of fundraising advice I'd give are, are, are number one, like you have, you have to run it like a process. Yep. Much like, much like you would any sales process, right? Like, there has to be a level of structure and rigor that goes into it. You, you can't just simply say, Oh, like I decided I want to raise, like I'm going to go talk to somebody this week and maybe somebody a week from now. And like, you will never raise capital if you don't run a very systematic, rigorous, thoughtful process. So that's, that's number one. Right. Uh, I think, I think number two is, you know, understanding, the signal and quality of how you are getting in the door. And, and yes, there are VCs, us included, who will invest in people who cold email you, right? Um, but it's harder, there's no doubt, right? Like, because trust is involved, right? right? Trust is involved. Like somebody is giving you capital, right? And they have a fiduciary obligation to their investors uh, to, you know, generate the best returns and to not have that money get lost, right? right. Um, and so, you know, understanding that like, hey, if so-and-so well-respected founder X or if another very well-respected VC or whatever, like is the person introducing you, the probability of success that you have goes up a lot in having you know five to ten high signal introductions versus a hundred meetings that came through cold email like you're you're dramatically more likely to get one of those five convert than you are you know the hundred cold emails and i mean this is coming from somebody who uh you know did a ton of cold email in the early days like it works uh but it's a volume game and it's significantly lower it's conversion harder. uh than than the other way so <clears throat>
That's great. That's really great advice. Um, well, Eric, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Where can people find Cat Contrary if they want to check it out? Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Will. I mean, if, if you want to learn more about Contrary, best way to kind of you know learn more is basically just check us out at, at Contrary.com or uh, you know shoot us a note at, at info at Contrary.com or follow us on Twitter. So <laughs> Love it, love it. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. All right, thanks, Will. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Narratives. 